0: We haven't even said hello yet. I was going to make it Backstreet Boys. You were not. I was. Please just
1: introduce this thing. (laughs) Uh, Yes, this is the Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and Rick Whitmer is across the table again today. Uh, And we're back. We're we're back. Uh, Yeah, Rick. Good self-control there. I saw what you were doing. (laughs) Well, we got some feedback last week about the insane Such good feedback. Stop. <laughs> Let me... St- you have to stop. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're not going to bring it back up again. Rick, it's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Yeah. Yeah. How's uh, how's your week, your days off since preaching?
0: Um, it's pretty dusty around my house. Yeah. All that wind yesterday, and we've got this massive construction project, 100 f- houses going in, in the empty field right behind my house. It's not empty anymore. And it's uh, testing my sanctification, and yeah. uh, but God is good. Good. So even in the dust and the storm.
1: Yeah, He's good. Good. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Visited a small group last night, and uh, no complaints. Good. God is good. Yeah. Well, How are you?
1: Yeah. Well. Well. Doing well. Better. Better than last week. I feel more alive today. That's
0: hard so. to. That's hard to believe, yeah, I mean, you look good, yeah. but thanks, uh, but you didn't you slept less last night than you did, yeah, l- last Monday before we recorded,
1: I don't know what happened, but I'm alive.
0: You yeah. started drinking coffee again,
1: yeah, yeah, I feel better. <laughs> we're here, and uh we're here to we're here to talk about salvation, yeah. Uh. I That's love this good. topic.
0: It's a good transition. It's a good. Yes, we need to we need we, to talk about salvation.
1: We are saved by grace. Amen. Amen. But yeah, we are. We're over the next few weeks. We're gonna we're jumping back into our uh, statement of faith, and we're gonna be working through salvation and the order of salvation.
0: Do you mean the Ordo Salutis?
1: I well, I don't know. What does that mean? What is that language? It's Latin. It is. Um, it means order of salvation. The order. <laughs> We are going to be talking about the order of the salvation, um, but we're we're going to be looking at election. So in our what do
0: you real quick, what do you mean by the order of salvation? Because well,
1: I was saved once. Well, I'm I'm hoping that you will explain that to us today. But I asked you first. Well, I'm I want you to answer it. That's why you're here. I ask the questions. You answer.
0: I said it was the order of salvation.
1: <laughs> yes. And what does that mean?
0: <laughs> you're so annoyingly dogmatic in your hosting. When we talk about the order of salvation, Jeremy, which I feel like you know this, um, we're talking about what elements are involved in the saving work of God through Christ uh, that happen in every believer's life, um, even though some of them happen simultaneously. You know, at least one of them happens before time began, Mm -hmm. and there is a logical order to how we experience the saving work of God um, and what happens, you know, and what, what needs to, what happens first that would lead to this other thing that leads to this other thing. And then, you know, and so when we talk about the order of salvation, we're following the logical flow of elements that are biblically part of every believer's experience of grace. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily saying that there's a one, two, three Though some of these things happen before the others,
1: so how's that? That, Is that okay? That's a great answer. How would you? How would you put it? Uh, Exactly the way you just said it. (laughs) (laughs) So thou shalt not lie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, you.
0: Jeremy is demonstrating the need for salvation right now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So some of those things. So when we talk about salvation and the order of salvation, the yeah. ordus salutis, they include things like election,
0: which we're going to talk about today, which we're talking about mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm.
1: regeneration, justification, adoption, adoption, so many awesome things.
0: Sanctification, yeah. Glorification, yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's get into uh election. Now our statement of faith starts out with regeneration. But we're gonna we're gonna go to election first this week, and then we'll we'll come back to regeneration mm-hmm. next week. Yeah, good call. Um, so election's not very well looked upon, uh, in the evangelical wider evangelical circles. Which is ironic. Which is ironic because
0: of how the evangelical church started. Yeah, <laughs> with the Protestant Reformation. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, evangelical right. means, you know, we're of the gospel. Yeah, we're committed to the gospel. Yeah, and when we understand the gospel, in Scripture. God's electing grace is very central to that. Yeah. So, when you when you have <laughs> that's why historically it doesn't make much sense that the evangelical church by and large would be kind of anti-election. Yeah. Either on purpose or uh just kind of by default. Right. It because well, we'll get into the history a little bit later perhaps, but Sure. Yeah,
1: sure. So it's a good thing to talk about. So why I guess why do why do people uh, have such a difficult time with with election? Well, there's a number of reasons, um,
0: Some of which are culturally, as Americans, we really like the idea of our own personal autonomy and freedom to the point where if you suggest, that our salvation has nothing to do with us, and that God is the one who chooses Mm -hmm. first, not us, (laughs) Um, that really strikes at some of our most deeply held American ideals. Mm -hmm. Another, Another reason is because of our sinful pride. We are, all of us, whether we're American or not, primed to want to be able to participate in what is truly good mm. and if salvation is truly good um you know we uh, you know and, and a, a then a third thing that comes to mind is the fact that we want to maintain that we in fact did choose god because this is my personal decision for christ right right and the interesting thing mm. is that's not not you know that's not untrue but you know when we get into election today we're going to see that god is always first yeah. and it really sheds some light on what is the nature of our choosing yeah. So,
1: yeah. So, as a church, we teach that election is the act of God by which, before the foundation of the world, he chose in Christ those whom he graciously regenerates, saves, and sanctifies. So, we're... That's from s- our statement oh, of faith. That, that is exactly... Well from- said, Jer. Thank you. Um, I practiced that line uh, as I was... <laughs>
0: As you were not sleeping at 3 (laughs) a.m.
1: Yeah. Um, So when when we're talking about election, obviously we're talking about God's bidding, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. But we also teach that uh, the sovereignty of God, the sovereign election of God, doesn't negate man's responsibility. How do we work those two things out? Oh, man. So...
0: Starting with the definition of election that you did <laughs> what you did. You literally did, you I defined did. it. I did. <laughs> which was really, really well. Really wise. Advice. Wise to do. Election <laughs> is the act of God by which, before anything, right, before the foundation of the world, he chose in Christ, those He he graciously regenerates, saves, and sanctifies. So the first thing we recognize Is that salvation is by grace alone right it's not by any human works this is straight out out of ephesians 2 by grace are you saved through Mm -hmm. faith this Mm -hmm. is not your own doing it is the gift of god not by works lest any man should boast so all boasting in our salvation is off the table we get the idea of election a number of places in scripture but you know ephesians 1 is one of the clearest places where he comes right out at the beginning of this beautiful exposition of the gospel, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. So it's that choosing language. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will okay to the praise of his glorious grace um so we we have firmly established that God is sovereign mm-hmm. and he's not just sovereign he's not just ruling over everything in a general sense such as you know the Queen Elizabeth is the sovereign of Great Britain, but she doesn't know all the details of what happens day to day. Right? God is sovereign not only over the cosmos generally, but specifically. So much so that Paul's going to go on here in verse 11 and say that in him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, which is God, okay? And then what does he say about God? Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the first thing we see very clearly is that God establishes everything that happens Mm -hmm. in a meticulous way according to his perfect perfect will. Okay? So that's anchor number one. So when we're talking about election and free will, um, we want to make sure that as we're scaling the mountain, we have these anchor points that are clearly established in Scripture that whatever else happens, we can't twist, deny, or change them. So God is meticulously sovereign over everything. Psalm 115, 3, the Lord is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Um, Romans 9, which we're not going to read right now, (laughs) but gets into great detail about the meticulous sovereignty of God, particularly in salvation. But then there's this other aspect. Like you said, we teach the sovereign election does not contradict or negate the responsibility of man to repent and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And this is what we see in all of these calls throughout Scripture to repent and believe in the gospel. You know, Mark 1, 15, Jesus entered Galilee and, and and began to proclaim, repent and believe in the gospel. Well, is that a real call? Mm-hmm. Well, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Jesus gave the call. And what does that call expect to happen? Repentance and faith. So now who needs to do the repenting? Well, not God, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's the sinful humans who need to turn away from their pursuit of sin toward Christ, let go of their sin, and lay hold of Christ by faith. Mm-hmm. Is that a real decision? It, it is. It absolutely is. In fact, Paul in Romans uh, 10 says, How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, and how are they going to hear unless someone goes and tells them? And so God actually expect, expects people to choose to turn away from their sin and follow christ by faith but he not but but and that you know that decision to turn away from sin and trust in christ by faith it presupposes god's work in their heart so god has to do the work first Mm -hmm. and he only does the work in those he chooses to do the work in Mm -hmm. such as if i go out to lunch today to minors I'm choosing to go to Miners and not go to Buffalo Wild Wings.
1: It's a poor decision.
0: (laughs) After the 30-minute wait to get chicken with Lincoln the other day, I would probably agree with you because I'm like, 30 minutes? Come on, guys. (laughs) But really, I mean, really, to choose to go one place and not another is a choice, right? And we know that God doesn't choose to save everybody because there are people— in hell, as difficult Mm -hmm. as that is to comprehend. So God chooses, and the people who respond also choose. Mm -hmm. But God has to choose first and work in their heart, which we're going to talk about next week in regeneration. Why? Why does God have to do the first work in the the people that he chooses to do that work in? Because of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and Mm -hmm. sins Mm -hmm. in which you once walked. Mm -hmm. The natural condition of everybody, like the psalmist says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. That's universal language. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, out of a mass of humanity, a hundred percent of which are running from God with hostility toward him, how do any of them, repent and believe in the gospel if they don't have the spiritual capability to do it because they're dead in their sins. Okay. Well, there has to be God's work in, in the hearts of those who believe. And that's what election's about. Mm-hmm. He chooses who to do that work, and he does it for the praise of his glorious grace in a way that does not negate their responsibility for their sins, It doesn't negate their real decision. And both of these things are held together and for some people there's a tension there and actually i would say we're probably seeing things clearly if we see a tension there right between the sovereignty of god and the responsibility of people right but yet attention does not mean a contradiction yeah and so we always want to walk that road in scripture of confessing all that scripture confesses precisely as it confesses it um not going beyond it not trying to do things with it that it doesn't give us the flexibility to do mm-hmm but also not falling short of saying everything it says. Yeah. And it says both those things clearly. Yeah. So
1: that's where the word mystery
0: comes into our theology.
1: Yeah. I think Charles Spurgeon had something to say about that when somebody asked him this question. What did he say? Well, I don't know. You tell me. You do know. (laughs) You answer this one. Would you? Well, right? Somebody asked him that, you know, how do you reconcile... Uh, election and man's free will, and his response was, uh, I don't need to reconcile friends.
0: There you go. Well, the, I knew you knew it. <laughs> well, I memorized that one. Yeah, I've said yeah. it enough. It's a good yeah. it's a good, <laughs> good story. Yeah. You know, especially because it's true. <laughs>
1: so it, there seems to be there seems to be tensions within Christianity you know talking about election and things like you know the hypostatic union it doesn't it, in mm-hmm. our minds it's hard to comprehend yeah how can how can Christ be fully God and fully man, how can God be sovereign in his election and man still be responsible you know right um and so I'm working through with the students kind of this apologetic approach if somebody came up to you and asked you a question that you couldn't could not answer just write it down and we'll work through this together as a student ministry that was one of their assignments this last week
0: it's a great assignment
1: so someone comes up to you asks you a question you don't you can't answer the question let's mm-hmm. let's work through this and and one question that kept popping up was okay. why would a loving God hmm. choose some and not others so this is the question that somebody comes up to you and asks you why would a loving God choose some people to be saved and not others so rick this is your time to answer that question for me (laughs) yeah (laughs) that that is it it's
0: a low move my friend (laughs) you're sitting here having me do your job i will answer that question after you give me your initial thoughts (laughs) how how were you planning on answering the students
1: well you know i think i think it's We've talked about this before. Uh, I I think we're going about asking it the wrong way. Okay. Uh, In the sense of why would God choose some and not others? Mm -hmm. I I think that's the wrong question. All right. The question is why would God choose any at all? There you go. Right? Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, you're referencing Ephesians 2, Mm -hmm. which is we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And the only way that we are made alive is through Christ's redeeming work. Yeah. So.
0: Man, and, and I see that your Bible, I, I just noticed this, you happen to be open to Romans 9. Mm. I also happen <laughs> to be open to Romans 9, because I don't know how we cannot not go to Romans 9 right. when this question is asked. Right. But what you just said actually reminded me of, um, I think it was at a Desiring God conference that Voddie was speaking at. And he gets that question when he goes and, um, and speaks with college students. Um, they'll say, "How can a loving God send people to hell?" And it's one of the number one apologetic questions that there are. Mm-hmm. Another one is, "How could a good and loving God allow evil and suffering?" Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that that Vodi whose new book, by the way, Fault Lines regarding social justice and the crisis that is looming on the evangelical church, is a little bit of ways into it, but just seeing where the book is going and the people who are commending it it is a close to a must read right now because i think so there's a shameless plug for a book yeah nice but (laughs) but, (laughs) right he says no the question the way he would put it to students is the question is when you ask me the right question i'll give you an answer and the right question is how could a how could a holy god know what i did said and thought last night and let me live to see today Hmm. so we presuppose In the question that the students asked, and it's a good question, Mm -hmm. that love demands equal saving. Mm -hmm. That there's something inherent about love and the love of God in particular that makes it unjust Mm -hmm. for him to lovingly save some, but not all. Yeah, right. But that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what love requires, what love is, what justice and holiness are. And so let's let's back up just a moment and ask, what is the chief end of man? You know, what does what is the Heidelberg say?
1: This is oh, you're directing this at me mm-hmm. now. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God forever and enjoy Him forever. And well,
0: don't leave out the, enjoy the enjoyment. Him. Enjoy Enjoyment. I believe it was Piper in Desiring God who asks the question, "What is the chief end of God?" Hmm. So, and this brings us back to I think what John and Pastor John and you and I were discussing a few weeks ago, that God must, because He is holy, good, and just, He mu- and righteous, He must pursue His own glory mm-hmm. maximally, right. because to do anything less than to pursue His maximal glory would be sinful because anytime we fall short of the glory of god (laughs) that is sinful right so that's the premise god is seeking his own glory in all that he does Mm -hmm. it's because he's god it's always good it's always just it's always righteous and it's beyond our conception Mm -hmm. so paul is addressing this idea of god choosing some and not all in romans 9 and he's, and this is brilliant, he's anticipating the objections, the same ones that people are giving now 2,000 years after this was written. And he says he has mercy on whomever he wills, okay, and he hardens whomever he wills. Mm-hmm. And remember, what percentage of the human race deserves to have mercy shown to them? Uh, zero. That's good math. Zero percent deserve mercy. God's obligated to None. A hundred percent human race capacity in hell because of rebellion against God is justice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this isn't a justice issue. It's a mercy issue. Well, do we know why God doesn't have mercy on all? Well, he says in verse 20 or verse 19, he, here's the objection. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? You know, so why does he hold us responsible as sinners for who can resist his will? So in other words, if God is ch- has chosen who will, he will have mercy on and who he won't, then how could he hold anybody responsible because they couldn't resist his will? And mm-hmm. if I'm not going to be saved, how could I be held responsible for the sins that I'm going to be condemned for? He says, who are you, a man, to answer back to God? <laughs> well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Well, that's a really good question because he's basically saying, God is God. We are not. He doesn't owe us an explanation for his holy ways. Mm -hmm. But we know because of who he is that he is always holy. Mm -hmm. He never violates anything good. And all that he does is just. But then he says in verse 22 Well, what if, okay, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which, has, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. We see two things at play here. We see the wrath of God and the mercy of God. Both of them are what are called perfections, or most, a lot of theologians would call them Attributes. Um, But when it comes to who God is, his attributes, his perfections, are both wrath and mercy attributes? Yes. Okay. Now, is there such a thing as one attribute of God being better than another? No. Okay. So we have a perfect God in all of who he is. God of wrath toward evil and mercy and love, and righteousness, and holiness, and justice, and all these things, okay? And the fact that he punishes sin displays his wrath, Mm -hmm. which is to display who he is, right? Okay. We don't know why he saves some and not others, except we know that God's glory is magnified more Mm. because of his choice. That is not easy, which is perhaps the chiefest reason, if that's a word. It's the the number one reason, I think, personally, that people chafe against the doctrine of election Mm -hmm. because they don't understand that aspect of the magnification of God's glory, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. But it's going to be two chapters later at the end of this discussion on God's electing grace, how God has not forsaken his people Israel in chapter 10 and 11, that Paul is going to conclude with this. O oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has, been give, who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God gets the glory. Yeah. In saving anybody, yeah. he gets the glory in the condemnation of, here's, here's an, a, an operative word, unrepentant sinners. Mm. And so basically, I'm going to boil it down to this. Nobody ever goes to hell who wishes they could repent and believe in the gospel. Mm. Every single person who goes to hell goes gnashing their teeth at God in high-handed rebellion and choosing to reject him. Mm. How God's sovereignty interplays with that doesn't do anything to diminish the reality of their willful, hostile rebellion mm-hmm. against his holiness. Mm-hmm. And they are for eternity. It's a place of weeping and gnashing and teeth. And I heard R.C. Sproul once, I, was, I heard him at a Ligonier conference live talk about weeping as, you know, a signification of suffering and agony and gnashing of teeth as being something of fury. Hmm. they're furious against God they hate him mm-hmm. and that's where I would be and you would be except for the grace of
1: God yeah yeah I think we were at that that look in your conference together oh, and, that's right. and the way he started it was like if if I woke up if I died today and woke up in hell you know God would be perfectly just in doing so and, and I, he was talking as R.C. Sproul yeah and we're sitting there going you're R.C. Sproul <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, Rick, uh, this has been encouraging and a great reminder of God's uh, glory and wisdom and power and might and grace and mercy. Uh, and church, we hope that you've been blessed by this doctrine uh, that we teach often and regularly here at the church. I'm Can
0: I? I'm so sorry. Can I ask you a question, real quick? <sighs> It's just so important. Okay. <laughs> so I, I hear this a lot. Why is this such a big deal? Why do we often die on this hill of God's electing grace and his total sovereignty? Is it abstract or is it actually meaningful?
1: It's, it's meaningful because it has to do with our salvation. It has to do with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is the hill that we have to die on.
0: It has to do with the assurance of our salvation, yeah. because those whom he chose, he also predestined right. to make yeah. holy, yeah. and he will not let them go. Yeah. It has to do with our evangelism. It has to do with how we pray <clears> for people. It has to do with the joy that we have in a God who loved us when we hated him. Mm-hmm. It has to do with our comfort. It's it's all and it has to do with the character of God. Right. That's why it matters. Right. So, anyways, that was it. Thanks. No. Yes. We just had to go there. Thanks for asking Mm -hmm. that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, church, we look forward to being with you next week as we continue the order of salvation by talking about regeneration. We love you. Have a great day.